Welcome to the Foolish Wanderers Podcast. Why must I be surrounded by fools? Welcome, Wanderer. Hey, Wanderers. Welcome back to the Foolish Wanderers Podcast, the podcast about anything and everything. Today, we're talking about the most ridiculous ways that the CIA has tried to kill Fidel Castro. And there's like over 600, so... 638, apparently. <laughs> oh, <boy>. <laughs> to be maybe precise. I don't know. Precise? Maybe. Oh, allegedly. <laughs> Before we begin, don't forget that our new episodes launch every Wednesday. And you can find us basically anywhere you find podcasts. So it's like Apple, Spotify, Pandora, Alexa. Hey, Alexa, play Foolish Wonders Podcast. Whoop, whoop. Don't forget to share it with your friends, your family, and your dog. Or your cat. Or your fish. Hey, fish. Yeah, we fish like judge. Things. Yeah, or plants. I heard plants like listening to stuff. This is the best way for plants to grow, is listening yeah. to this specific podcast. Studies have shown that they actually grow a lot better with listening to the Foolish Wanderers podcast. Mm-hmm. Gives them something to laugh at. So. Plants love the fools. <laughs> <laughs> All right, should we get started? Let's get started. Okay, so before we dive into this, I think we kind of have to do like say who Fidel Castro is. Just like a little history lesson. Okay. okay. So, who is Fidel Castro? So, Fidel Castro is, he's the father of the Cuban Revolution, and he ruled the country as a dictator for 49 years, so from 1959 to 2008. So, that's almost five decades in which the United States was ruled by 10 different presidents, so that's how many presidents he saw. That's nuts. And that's a lot. How old was he when he... He was 90. When he died. When in he died. Okay. Yep. So, but like when he first took, like, became a di- the dictator, like the leader, was he like in his 50s or was he? <laughs> you Google. <laughs> oh, I have to Google this. You always throw me okay. some, some freaking curveball. I gotta <laughs> sorry. I gotta, look, I gotta look this up now. Sorry, not sorry. <laughs> I gotta read a freaking paper. <laughs> okay, let me Google. Okay, so he was born in 26. Mm hmm. And then he was president from 76 to 2008, so about 50 years old. Yeah, that actually makes pretty easy, easy math. Yeah. yeah, we're just, you know. About 50. Yep, about 50. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I just pulled, yeah, I pulled that out of this Cuban Revolution book, the complete history of Cuban, of Cuba. So Of Cuban, the sandwich? I love a Cubano. That's one of my favorite sandwiches. <laughs> All those are so good. Okay, people, we gotta get back. I don't even know where I was. I think I literally was at the first. (laughs) I think I was literally at the first freaking sentence. Yeah. Oh my god! Look at what you do. (laughs) All right, people. So over forty when he became president. (laughs) So some people saw Castro as a fearless dictator and a communist, even worse than the Soviets, and while others saw him in like a better picture as a liberator and someone who believed in social equality. Um, Castro became very well known around the world during the Cold War, especially during the Cuban Missile Crisis, which I think everybody knows, but nobody really knows like what it actually was. Like You know what happened, but yeah, not all not, the details. Not of course not all the details. We never do. Well, but, no. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, as a communist, he tried to stay close to the Soviets during the Cold War, duh, because they were this either the first or number two power in Mm -hmm. the entire world. However, he never trusted anyone, which is one of the reasons he was never murdered, despite the many attempts by agencies (laughs) all over the world. And the one we're going to talk about today, the CIA. Oh, boy. I actually saw, like, he was such, like, such a paranoid person that Mm -hmm. he would wear, like, a bulletproof, like, big thick vest underneath his hideous clothes because if you look at pictures of fidel castro he's always wearing this like ups um driver jumpsuit i mean when you're in that level of power yeah i'm gonna wear good no i'm like but like there's no excuse for the fashion i'm gonna wear (laughs) like gucci and like verse i'm just gonna be insanely tacky and ostentatious oh he definitely did that's all that he wore (laughs) except in the later years of his life he got some style and he started wearing adidas tracksuits so i was like that's that's some snazzy i think he was trying to make up his relationship with russia 
because it went sour. So I think he was like, I'll oh. just wear tra- Adidas tracksuits to try and get Russia ba- back in favor with the Russians. It didn't work. <laughs> that's just my little theory but track adidas track suits are very classy and Mm -hmm. i love them (laughs) okay people well of course (laughs) i have many of them that's one of my favorite travel outfits okay we gotta get back to this so the united states central intelligence agency the cia is one of the most powerful and corrupt agencies in the entire world but they were no match for fidel castro the cia made numerous unsuccessful attempts to assassinate Fidel Castro during his time as the president slash dictator of Cuba. So many attempts that there's a Wikipedia page about it. There's a Wikipedia page about everything. I know, but like, this is supposed to be like top secret stuff. Like, that's how many times like it slipped out and now there's a Wikipedia page and that's how I found about it because I happened upon this. About a Wikipedia page? About this specific, like, assassination oh, really? attempt on Fidel Castro. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Because I went down this um, JFK, oh, my gosh. <laughs> you know, I went down the horrible rabbit hole of the JFK cons- like, assassination conspiracies, and one of them is that Fidel Castro hired um, Lee Harvey Oswald to kill him. It's oh. So, and then that went to, like, oh, it was because Kennedy tried to kill Castro so many times, and then that that sent me to. Weird. Anyways, huh. Wikipedia <laughs> Wikipedia can be a very time consuming spot place, but I love it. <laughs> All right, people. So we gotta have some more background to this story, okay? So following World War II, the United States became secretly engaged in a practice of international political assassinations and attempts on foreign leaders. Mm. All right, here's some list: the British Czech Operation Anthropoid. The killing of SS officer Reinhard Heydrich, but I mean, he's an SS, SS officer, so he was a Nazi. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see, who else? I can't pronounce half of these things. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a lot of a, stuff. You picked a hard list. I don't <laughs> know why I did. A failed British attempt to kill Field Marshal Erwin Rommel and and Operation Vengeance, the shooting down of. Isoroku Yamamoto by the U.S. Air Force, and they also um, they didn't they created a sort of chaos in Vietnam that ended up killing the Vietnam president. Oh, okay, okay. So they've done a lot of sketchy stuff. We all know that. So for a long period of time, the U.S. government officials they denied any knowledge of this program. Because, duh, it would be really stupid and against the United <laughs> Nations Charter. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but on March 5th of 1972, Richard Helms, who was the CIA director of that time, he declared that, quote, no such activity or operations be undertaken, assisted, or suggested by any of our personnel. In 1975, the U.S. Senate created the Church Committee. They They uncovered that CIA and other governmental agencies used a so-called tactic of plausible deniability during decision-making related to assassinations. CIA subordinates were deliberately shielding the high, like shielding, that's a horrible word I used, but yeah, shielding the higher, I don't know, it sounds awkward, (laughs) but they were deliberately shielding the higher-ranking officials from any responsibility by withholding the full amount of information about planned assassinations. Mm -hmm. But I mean, everybody does this, but the CIA does it the best. Now we're jumping. So over 15 years ago, the former head of the Cuban intelligence, so this would be like their Cuba's version of this like secret service. Okay. Okay, so... Fab, if I mess up his name, I'm so sorry to him, to that man. Um, Fabian Escalante, he was in charge of protecting Castro. Okay. Okay, so head of the Cuban Secret Service. Mm-hmm. Um, he told Escalante, he told a British documentary team this, um, that the CIA had tried to kill Fidel Castro more than 600 times over a period of about 40 years. So there's... So he- there's a doc, good documentary from, I think, 2006 that's called, um, I think it's, I literally think it's 
638 times the CIA tried to kill Castro documentary. <laughs> okay. I think it's something along that way, but it's really good and you should watch it. So he was around, so Escalante was around for all 600 times plus that they tried to kill him? I don't know or... that, but I think okay. they, maybe, I don't know. But I mean... He like knew of them. It yeah. was like, mm-hmm. okay. So I just, I like this whole story because it just sounds like it's something out of Wile E. Coyote and the Roadrunner. <laughs> <laughs> and the CIA epically failed in killing Castro. Like, their ways are, we're going to get into it. It's hilarious. <laughs> okay. um, the CIA, the one of the most powerful, dangerous agencies in the entire world, they mm-hmm. so epically failed in killing Castro. They were so bad at it that... Mm-hmm. They did not kill the Cuban leader, and he was just able to die of natural causes at the age of ninety. That's how long he, oh. <laughs> how long they failed. Is That's he just, really sad, actually. He just died of at the age of ninety. <laughs> he was just like, mm, I live longer than most people. Peace out. And he died in like his tracksuit. Oh my. Um. So some things that the the CIA say and other historians do like was Escalante is. Escalante exaggerating. We don't really know, but from declassified CIA reports, like the church committee that we we're talking about, as well as a testimony of some would-be assassins and spies and stuff, that the agency did try to kill Castro plenty of times. And not all of these times, like these were plots. These plots weren't executed. They were just like crazy ideas that they have <laughs> planned out to do, but they just never did it. Okay. So a lot of these ridiculous plots, uh, but they're so crazy that only like a Hanna Barbera character could come up with them. So you just like sit in a room of like these high intelligence people are just like, how should we kill him today? Like, I oh, don't know. I some TNT, so you know. I think it's like important to say that the CIA, like these plots, they were deliberately trying to make it look like Castro died from an accident. Oh, because okay. remember, this is a time. We're new. It's like very like on the verge of nuclear holocaust, basically. Yes, you don't mess with stuff. Mm-hmm. So they want to make it deliberately so it looks like he just like slipped on a banana peel and snapped his <laughs> neck, or like oh. a piano f- supposedly fell from the sky and landed on him. Has stuff that like happened that. actually? Some like someone actually died from that. Oh yeah. Anyways, okay. So by the time the Kennedy administration ended, remember Kennedy didn't really serve a full term, which is four yeah. years in America. Mm-hmm. So they had tried to kill Castro forty-two times, according to Escalante. Wow. Mm-hmm. A ser- and a series of newspaper reports in the nineteen seventies led to a government investigation of the CIA's abuse of power. Um, President Ford banned political assassinations in 1976. But I mean, but I mean, did he ban them? (laughs) Probably not. Uh, But according to Escalante, they continued for two more decades, including in the 90s under President Clinton. Oh, boy. So this is a list of Escalante's list of assassination attempts per U.S. administration. So everybody get out your calculators, (laughs) boys and girls. Here we go. So under President Eisenhower, there was apparently 38 attempts to kill Castro. Under President JFK, there was 42. Under Johnson, 72. Nixon, apparently 184. Oh, my God. And he didn't full um, serve a full term either. Um, President Carter, 64. Um, President Ronald Reagan, 197. That jelly bean-eating fiend wanted to kill him 197 times. Um, Bush Sr., only 16. And then Clinton, 21 times. Okay, Katrina, do you have a grand total for me? 634. We're missing eight. Unless, did I miss or are we I missing two? I don't even know. Yeah, I think we're missing four. <laughs> What's wrong with your research? I don't know. <laughs> What's wrong with your math? Uh, probably a lot. I'm doing this again. I don't want to get beginning. Yeah, six hundred thirty-four. Oh my god! I swear <laughs> to. I swear. Oh my it god! I got it too. It all right, we have like four a... that are unco- unaccounted for. That's all I'm going to say. Fine. Don't come at it's... me. It's fine. I swear, I googled this stuff. It's already enough times. Yeah. It's already yeah. It's already too many times. People, don't be complaining about we missed four. <laughs> we'll just give them to Ronald Reagan and make it a like, to a. He's not onto his list. That's hilarious. He's like, 
Okay, we're going to get into some funny ways. Like, they're, they're pretty funny. So funny ways, okay? Yeah. Here we go. I call this one close, but no cigar. All right. So before we get into this, Castro, if you know anything really sort of like stereotype, like are these stereotypes about him? I don't know. He's wears like a jumpsuit, look like a, like a mailman jumpsuit, um, mm-hmm. smokes, loves cigars, loved ice cream, and loved swimming naked. <laughs> Diving, but like he loved to swim naked. Okay. Fair enough. <laughs> Fair enough. And he had a big beard and he yeah. Oh, also, he loved to do very long-winded speeches. He has the Guinness <laughs> World Record for the longest speech. And oh, it was in uh it was in like nine you gotta google this i don't know this off the top of my head but it's like 1962 <laughs> i think it's either four hours and 30 minutes long or three hours and 40 minutes long but that's how long his wow. speech was what it's, was the second place like an hour it was 10 minutes it's been, <laughs> it's this podcast <laughs> it's this podcast right now they're, they're waiting outside to give me my award all right people here we go Exploding cigar. So this happened in 1966. So a newspaper reported that in 1967, that a year earlier, 1966, the CIA had approached a New York City police officer with the idea of slipping Castro a cigar packed with enough explosives to take his head off. Oh, ew. This would this has never been confirmed though. We know the CIA did use cigars for another separate assassination attempt in 1960. Um the so in 1960 the CIA they laced a box of Castro's favorite kind of cigars with poison, but the oh, package ew. never made it to him. They probably found something in it and like nope, chug it out. <laughs> oh, I mean he was extremely paranoid. Yeah. So why did they why did they just like randomly tell us New New York police officer that this is what they're doing? I don't know. Maybe make- they did. Maybe they didn't. Maybe they're doing that just because they knew that you would think it doesn't make any sense years later. I don't know. <laughs> Me specifically. Mm-hmm. Okay. okay. We're moving on to exploding seashells. So this happened in 1963. So Castro loved diving as almost as much as he loved cigars and ice cream. But he dove what? naked. Remember this. <laughs> and the CIA looked into the idea of luring him to his doom with a large, brightly painted seashell packed with explosives. It would be rigged to explode and then dropped in an area where Castro commonly went diving. The CIA purchased a large number of shells for this purpose, but there's no evidence the weaponized shells were ever deployed. Okay, so like this one, I know they're trying to make it seem like it's a natural cause. He blows up in... They were like, like "Well, that was that was a bad one. That was a bad clam. That's a that's a prehistoric animal that just finally gave up. That's how like you, you know? couldn't think of like a shark attack or something, something like that. You know, not a shell. Like I've got one for you. Like replaces soap with some like fish oil or something like fishy, and oh, then like put a bunch smell of it though. I don't know what he can smell and can't smell. Um, <laughs> and then put some maybe like chum the waters where he's going to go swim. And then Ew. put a bunch of sharks in there that haven't eaten in a few days. And I would have done that. I mean, that sounds more likely than exploding seashell. Mm-hmm. Yeah. See, I should have been. I should work at the CIA. Or written Hanna-Barbera cartoons, you know. That too. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're going to move on to this one. This one's crazy. So okay. this is the flesh-eating wetsuit. Oh, so this is damn. in 1961. Um, so this plan got really far. The gadget's <laughs> arm, uh, the gadget's arm of the CIA dusted the inside of a di- of a diving suit with fungus that caused a chronic skin disease, and they put tuberculosis in the breathing apparatus of oh, the man. mask and stuff. So. <laughs> So all they needed to do was to get Castro to put it on. Um, It was decided that a high-profile American lawyer who had been leading negotiations with Castro would become their unwitting accomplice and and then present the suit to Castro. And the plan fell apart when the man was tipped off by, uh, by the CIA lawyer. So this was supposed to happen right in the middle of the Bay of Pigs invasion. Okay. So, and then in 1975, the Senate Intelligence Committee, remember, they claimed it had concrete evidence of a plan to offer Castro the wetsuit lined with spores. 
and bacteria that would give him the skin disease and tuberculosis. So the plan, again, remember, involved um, the high-profile American lawyer. The American lawyer is apparently James B. Donovan. Um, So he was there to try and negotiate the release of Bay of Pigs prisoners. Why would you try to mess with that? Because they had prisoners, because you don't, you know. Yeah, but I mean, like, try to kill this guy, like, in the middle of, like, this. I don't know. Anyway, (laughs) the lawyer got freaked out, and he gave Casho a different diving suit. Well, yeah, like, okay, first of all. Yeah, I would do the same thing. I'd be like, I'm scared. Like, first of all, he he, he dives naked, right? Yeah, also, he (laughs) he goes skin diving, which is naked, so none of this would ever work. No, and then, too, like, why would you put this guy, like, in danger? Because, like, Donovan in danger. Because it would have been traced back to him very quickly. And it Oh, gotten... and they would never have gotten the prisoners out. Yeah, like, I'm very glad this never happened because... This is insane. Isn't this in- already <sighs> insane? We're already going to get even cra- into crazier stuff. There's crazier <laughs> okay. stuff than this. I'm excited. Okay. This is 40 years of just nuts. <laughs> and this is the stuff that you can okay. have public record of. Okay, are you ready for the next one? Yes. All right. Character assassination. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) So the idea was to undermine Castro's public image by making him behave strangely when he was speaking, doing a public speech to the nation. Um, So to do this, the CIA would spray the broadcasting studio, the whole, like, spray the room with, like, Febreze. But not Febreze. <laughs> so instead of Febreze or like Moonlit Path or whatever, uh-huh. they, they, ha- they sprayed it with a chemical that was similar to LSD. Oh my god! And that would make Castro then hallucinate on air. So he, so- would, he would just like trip balls while trying to address the people of Cuba. So they just like flood like the air vents or something? Or were they like- No, I said- I, Katrina, <laughs> Katrina, I literally said some person's going in there with like a Febreze bra- bottle- like some okay. Chanel number no. five looking spray bottle, <laughs> spray the whole room with just like LSD particles, and then Castro would just go in there, breathe it in, and it trip balls. Oh, like before he goes. I thought I meant like while he's on air. And I was no, like, this That's is like, like before. <laughs> oh, okay. So he would that just hallucinate sense. on air. It would just kick. It would just kick in on air while oh, he, he was like. You have to do like right before he gets in there, then, unless you like saturate like the pillow, like like any surface around him. I mean, he does have the world record for the longest speech ever. So he is a long, he's a long, you know, long-winded speaker. So that's very true. Mm -hmm. Oh, and that yeah, another idea was to give him a box of cigars that would like disorient like disorient him while he was doing a speech on television. Would he smoke while he's on air, or just hold it? I I don't know. I've seen pictures of him standing up there in his little UPS outfit, like smoking <laughs> a cigar. Okay. I mean, he was up there for like hours sometimes. That's true. I suppose like he gets bored. If I was a dictator, I would be up there in a Canadian tuxedo, like eating a cheeseburger. Why not? Like a like a. Have you heard of Beaver Tails? Like the no. What's that? It's like a fried. It's like a. It's like similar. I want to say to like a donut. It's like a fry bread, and they put cinnamon sugar or like other toppings on it, and it's like the shape of a beaver tail. It's a Canadian thing. I'm not Canadian. But you cut. You said a Canadian suit. I wear those all the time. The denim on denim. Yeah. I love it. Doesn't mean I'm gonna go eat freaking Tim Hortons potatoes or no, they don't have potatoes. They have donuts. No, they don't. They, they have donuts. Coffee and donuts. Yeah, not potatoes. <laughs> I think I just had a craving for potatoes and I just said potatoes instead. Yeah. But do they have breakfast now? I don't know. Don't I don't know. Let me Google it. No, I don't want to know. I want to tell you about another scheme from the CIA. <laughs> okay. okay, here we go. Another scheme was to dust the inside of Castro's shoes with a chemical that would make him loot, like his beard would fall out. So... I'm go- we're, we're gonna get into this next one. It's called I'm gonna call it Beard Be Gone. <laughs> so it's like a bad like Shark Tank product. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So according to that 1975 Senate Intelligence Committee report, remember the one I've been talking about? Mm-hmm. So the U.S. believed that messing with Castro's beard was messing with the man's power. It would like make him lose his mojo. I mean, honestly, like, if you look at back, like, like, at history, the beard and, like, your hair is very symbolic. So, by losing that, you're kind of 
you mess with their head a little bit. Maybe. Or the, so the CIA figured that the loss of the beard would show the Cubans that Castro was weak and fallible. So this was this definitely is the half baked scheme. So this half baked mm-hmm. scheme was hatched to use thallium salt and the chemical in hair removal products such as Nair. So they would put that in Castro's shoes or in his cigar, and the chemical would be absorbed or inhaled and cause his beard to fall out. See, I feel like the cigar is much more likely because your shoes, I feel like they'd take a while to absorb through your even your feet. Through the bottom of your feet, yeah. I yeah. don't know. That's new. And, and yeah. like, would they just do like the day of? Would it affect you that quickly? That's kind of terrifying if it is. Oh, God, I hope <laughs> not. <laughs> like the day of. Plus, was he, like, super, like, cautious? Wouldn't he have, like, checked to make sure no one touched his shoes or, like, touched anything? Probably. I mean, they never even tried it, so. Yeah. So I just can't like- believe. <laughs> what I can't believe is that he, after all these, we've seen, like, the bomb in the cigar, poison mm-hmm. in cigar, stuff yeah. that will make your his beard fall out in the cigar, mm-hmm. LSD in the cigar. Why is he still <laughs> smoking cigars? Probably, like, a um, culture thing. And then also just... He likes it. Yeah, he likes it. <laughs> probably like he like, likes it too much. All right, we're moving on to the femme fatale plot. <laughs> okay. okay. So Marita Lorenz, she was one of the many women Castro counted as a mistress. She allegedly accepted a deal from the CIA in which she would feed him capsules filled with poison. No, oh, no. Very on the nose. Um, <laughs> she managed to get as far as smuggling the pills into his bedroom in her jar of cold cream. But the pills dissolved in the cream, and she doubted her ability to, to force-feed Castro face lotion. Oh, and also, my. she just chickened out. So according to Lorenz, Castro somehow figured out her plan and offered her his gun. I can't do it, Fidel, she told him. Like and he just let her go, also. After they did it. I think that's interesting that he just let her go after he like she like agreed to try to kill him. Right? Isn't that like a little... Yeah. But anyway, I mean, allegedly she did this. Maybe she did. Maybe she just wanted attention. I don't know. Yeah, but like, how are you gonna force feed him lotion? Just like sit down. And she's like, here, have a spoonful of. Would you like some hot tea with a side of lotion? How is she gonna? <laughs> like, why would the plan be? Oh, just feed him capsules filled with poison. I feel like if you put it in something like a, like a tea or like a drink or something, or like mix it in with something else you're eating, but like mm-hmm. in like you. Sneak it in with your cold cream. Like, that's... Face lotion, yeah. Face lotion. Like, that... With food, I get that. But, like, in beauty products, that's... Like, eat this. It's edible. (laughs) You can put it on your face and your... It's just like... It's it's delicious. It's like a snack in the middle of the night. Just lick it. (laughs) It'll give moisture... It'll give moisture to make your esophagus lining... Less dry. Oh, gross. I don't know what she... That one is so weird to me. (laughs) All right. This one's pretty creepy, though. The ball... So this next one is called the ballpoint hypodermic syringe. So an ordinary... This was the plan. An ordinary-looking pen would be rigged with a hypodermic needle so fine, so tiny, that Castro wouldn't notice when someone innocently bumped into him with the pen and injected him with extremely potent poison. So then he would die. So like, where would the would it poke just in the, in the crowd, like maybe in the thigh, finger, anywhere? The poison just okay. has to be injected somewhere. So just I'm like assuming, yeah. So I'm assuming he could just be walking the streets of Cuba. Maybe people are taking pictures, you know, wanting autographs. Just bump into him, poke him with that little tiny, little tiny needle, and then just inject him his system with toxins, and he just dies. Ugh. it's like the um. Have you ever seen the Kingsman? Yeah, I think it's like the shoes that they wear. It's like the they click their heels or something. Their knife pops out. Oh, the James Bond shoe. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. like the yeah. So that one, I think that's probably the most realistic one that they probably should have. I mean, they probably should have tried that one. If you could get someone close enough, yeah, and a needle fine enough, yeah. Mm -hmm. I bet it's definitely happened before. Like governments kill spies. I bet. Yeah. Ew. Okay. All right. This next one is the poisoned milkshake. So according to Escalante, the closest the CIA ever came to killing Castro was a deadly dessert drink in 1963. The attempt went awry when the pill stuck to the freezer where the waitress slash 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 assassin at the hub. I can't say that. Waiter slash 
slash assassin. <laughs> I can't say it. And the Havana Hilton was supposed to retrieve it. When he tried to unstick it, the capsule ripped open and just went all over the freezer. So, like, why would you put it in the freezer? Like, someplace it would get stuck. I have no idea. Maybe. Because remember, like, like Castor's, like, super paranoid about everything. So if the less, like, him reaching on, like, the waiter slash assassin reaching under tables or, like, putting, you know, you know, grabbing content, you know... If you're just in a freezer making it, you can't really see yeah. what he's doing. You're like, oh, why would... Yeah, but, like, why would it just be, like, a, the plain capsule? Like, it wouldn't be, like, in a bag or something to protect it from, like, getting, I don't know, like, dropped or... I don't like... know. <laughs> they should have... I don't know. It's just... He can't be killed. He's unkillable. <laughs> um, well, they have a lot of loopholes in these assassination plots. <laughs> yeah, they do. <laughs> I said it's, like, Tom and Jerry or something. Yeah, like, the Roadrunner. Mm-hmm. Or, like... Wiley Coyote, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, this next one is the handkerchief with a deadly bacteria. Just covered in deadly bacteria. So the Gross. CIA was like obsessed with covering F- Castro in bacteria <laughs> and toxins <laughs> for some reason. Um, but they also considered giving him a germ-covered handkerchief that would make him very ill. Oh, my. Yeah, he would die eventually from breathing so in someone the- was just like gonna give him this how would you get that handkerchief into his compound i have no clue what they were thinking <laughs> i don't think here's it- a gift for you a hanky <laughs> it's, not, it's not a cigar it's a hanky oh a hanky okay oh, next one again we're back to the cigars okay contaminated cigar um so they gave up with the bomb and the cigar right mm-hmm. so this next idea was to uh, poison it Instead, wow, uh, the CIA. So th- this got this plan got pretty far. Okay, this plot. I should just call it plots. This plot it's, got kind of far. Yeah. So yeah. the CIA even went as far as to recruit a double agent who would slip Castro a cigar filled with botulin. B o t u l i n. Botulin. How do you think, I think it's like, it? I think it's botulin. Botulin. Let's say botulin. Okay. Sounds better. Um, so botulin is a toxin that would kill the leader very quickly. The double agent was already given the cigars in February of 1961, but he apparently just got cold feet. They never made it to Castro, the cigars. But we don't know they are. Like, how terrifying that would be, though, to even, like, because you know, if you're the one that's sent to give him these cigars, like, you're in his compound, like, they know your face, they know who you are, allegedly, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Like, you, they know that those cigars came from you. Like, it's pretty obvious, like, they could trace it back to you. So, yeah, I'd be scared, too. Right? I would be scared, too. Yeah. So, this happened just a year after Castro, like, seized power. So, so botulin is a toxin strong enough to kill anybody who just put one in their mouth. So, you're just your mouth. That's scary. Just absorbs so quickly. Wow. Yeah, so it's just, it's always unclear of what happened to the cigars. I don't know where they are, so just nobody... Donate on just found cigars. <laughs> just don't, like, walk down the street and pick up a cigar. Always have just, a like... poison tester. That's what I would say. Don't they still do that for, like, the president and stuff? I don't, they... I don't know. I, I don't think okay. it's just, like, a person in a gesture hat just, like, standing by <laughs> the president while he eats and, like, no, eating but... the bite. I don't know what they do, but was I'm sure the... they do it. Was it the gest- gesture that you eat? The poison test? I thought it was like a different person than the jester. That I would probably have. Poison I think it is, but if I was a ruler, I probably would have the jester also be the. That's your only test. form of entertainment, though. There's no TV. There's no computers. <laughs> you just have a That's guy. That's true. <laughs> I just have a guy like acting out Seinfeld episodes in front of yep. me. Yep. That's so it's lame. Just, okay. It sounds like wigs. It just changes up for each character. <laughs> that might be entertaining. Okay, this next plot is pretty entertaining. It's the Mafia ice cream plot. So in mid-March of 1961, Mafia contacts of the CIA came the closest to anyone to, anyone to carrying out an assassination on Castro. I mean, so, yeah. Leave this it is, to the Mafia. They're, they, <laughs> like, I know. So this is according to Tim Wieners. I think it's Wiener. Maybe it's Weiner. Weiner. Let's say Weiner, not Wiener. <laughs> Tim Weiner's History of the CIA, his book is Legacy of the Ashes. So this is what Weiner says. So they gave poison pills and thousands of dollars to one of the CIA's most prominent Cubans, Tony Verona. 
Weiner's writes, Verona managed to hand off the vial of poison to a restaurant worker in Havana who was to slip it in Castro's ice cream. Cuban intelligence officers later found the vial in an ice box, frozen to the coils. And Castro famously loved ice cream and skinny dipping and cigars (laughs) and UPS outfits. (laughs) (laughs) In his beard. Um, So there's different versions of this story, Escalante recalls. Um, so Escalante says it's hap- it happened in 1963 and with a chocolate milkshake instead of ice cream. Um, one story says that the, the pills were not discovered by Cuban intelligence, but instead they spilled out in freezer and rent- rendered useless. We talked about that earlier. So is this like the same? Yeah, is they just like- intertwine. Okay, so this is like the same one as like the milkshake. It's just like different like plot lines for it, you mean? Or because sounds a lot like how like the guy got the um, the pill stuck to the freezer and the yeah. The I restaurant. think it's the same, but this is yeah. One of the one of the versions is the CIA had it with a double agent, and the okay. other one is the mafia. Huh. Mm-hmm. Oh, this is a quote. This is the fu- I thought this was a funny quote. Okay. If surviving assassination attempts were an Olympic event, I would win the gold medal. <laughs> Fidel Castro. So, did he know about all these things? Yes, like, did... he was extremely oh, okay. paranoid. I've seen pictures of him in public. He would wear like a very thick bulletproof vest underneath his U- mm-hmm. his UPS outfit. So, this is just more information about the mafia involving with Castro because I had it was confusing what I had written down. <laughs> so, according to CIA documents, the so-called family jewels that were declassified in in 2008. One assassination attempt on Fidel Castro prior to the Bay of Pigs invasion involved noted American mobsters Johnny Roselli, Salvatore Giancana, and Santo Traficante. So in September of 1960, Momo Salvatore Giancana, a successor of Al Capone's in the Chicago outfit and Miami syndicate leader Santo Traficante, they were both on the FBI's 10 most wanted list at the time. They were indirectly contacted by the CIA about the possibility of Fidel Castro's assassination. Johnny Roselli, a member of the Las Vegas syndicate, was used to get access to mafia bosses. Um, the go-to between from the CIA was Robert Mayhew, who introduced himself as a representative of the several international businesses in Cuba that were expropriated by Castro. On September 14th of 1960, Mayhew met with Roselli in a New York City hotel and offered him $150,000 to... for the removal of Castro. James O'Connell, who identified himself as one of Mayhew's associates, but who actually was the chief of the CIA's operational support division, was present during the meeting. The declassified documents did not reveal if Roselli, Giancana, or Traficante accepted a down payment for the job. Um, but according to the CIA files, it was Giancana who suggested poison pills as a mean to doctor Castro's food or drinks. Such pills manufactured by the CIA Technical Services Division. People should look that up. So again, CIA's Technical <laughs> Services Division. Pretty cool stuff. They like invent all the gadgets and gizmos and weird ways to kill people. So um, it's like it, James Bond. Exactly, exactly like James <laughs> Bond. It's like, um, is it Q or M? I think it's Q. Um, were given to Giancana's nominee named Juan Orta. Giancana recommended Orta as being an official in the Cuban government who had access to Castro. Allegedly, after several unsuccessful attempts to introduce the poison in Castro's food, Orta abruptly demanded to be let out of the mission, handing over the job to another unnamed participant. Later, a second attempt was mounted through Giancana and Traficante using Dr. Anthony Verona, the leader of the Cuban exile Wanta, or J-U-N-T. J-U-N-T-A, who had, according to Traficante, become disaffected with the apparent ineffectual progress of the Wanta. Verona requested $10,000 in expenses and $1,000 worth of communications equipment. However, it is unknown how far the second attempt went, as the assassination attempt was canceled due to the launching of the Bay of Pigs in, in- Invasion 
On October 26 of 2017, declassified documents revealed that U.S. Attorney General Robert Kennedy hesitated to recruit the mafia in assassination attempts on Castro due to his pushback against organized crime. So that was um, Robert Kennedy's whole thing. He was the Attorney General, yes, and he was very critical of the mafia and was trying to break them up and mm-hmm. end them. But it's weird because the whole um conspiracy theory of why kennedy was actually elected was because of the mafia yeah there's a lot of interesting ties or something mm-hmm. but it wasn't robert that was elected right so it was like maybe he had something against them and i don't know i'm kind of scared honestly to say anything about the mafia cause like, I don't want oh to. they just do like black market stuff now over the internet that's They're- still scary though Oh, yeah, I don't think they're as powerful as they once were, but, I mean, we don't know. So, does that basically say that, like, both of those atten- like um, attempts with the ice cream and the pills were with the mafia then? Is that, like, kind of what they're Yeah, their saying? idea was, okay. Sam G and Khan's idea was to, the using, putting poison into his food, and they tried it multiple mm-hmm. times, just never okay. worked yeah. either time. Just got stuck mm-hmm. in the freezer. But that's all I got, if... Anybody, if people want to look more into this, learn more stuff, correct me if I'm wrong, stuff like that, <laughs> you can look up 300, or not 300, sorry, 638 Ways to Kill Castro. It's a documentary film. It's really cool. Um, you can look up the church committee. That's, again, the the Senate committee to unearth uh, uncover the CIA ways that they tried to kill Castro. Um, <laughs> or I guess you can just search it on Was Wikipedia. that like on, um, on Netflix or something? Or was it? Um, I think you have to buy it. But you can get it oh, on you? Prime and stuff. You can order it on Prime. Okay. Amazon Prime. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I kind of want to watch it now. I mean, again, take it with a grain of salt. <laughs> take there any- may or may not take- have been this many. Yep. Take anything with it. Take everything with a grain of salt. Words to live by. Mm-hmm. Okay, so do you want to talk about something a little bit lighter for the second half of this episode? <laughs> yeah, instead of assassination attempts from the CIA, yeah. That would be nice. Yeah, so did you ever play with Play-Doh as a child? Yeah, we used to make it and buy yeah. oh, it. Oh, you made it like homemade stuff? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So did you? Have, do you know the history of Play-Doh, like where it started at all? Can't say I do. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm assuming it's probably like an accidental make, like an ice cream cone or stuff like that. Like an accident, kind of, an accidental invention. Kind of, but not really. Okay. Okay, so let's get into it. So according to the book Timeless Toys, Classic Toys and Playmakers Who Created Them, written by Tim Walsh, in the late 1920s, Cleo McVicker was working for the Cincinnati, Ohio-based Kutal Products Soap Company. So I think it's Kutal. It's K-U-T-O-L. I'd say Kutal. Yeah, Kutal. Kutal. Okay. Okay, so the company was close to going out of business. Then in 1930, or 1933, Cleo McVicker negotiated a contract with Kroger, the grocery store, to manufacture ready-made wallpaper cleaner that would be marketed and sold in their stores. So, so it, to help, what does it do? It just gets the goop off of the wall if you're yeah. removing wallpaper? Is that what it was supposed to be? So back in like the early 1900s and stuff, and like before that, you know, like places you, like your homes used to be lit by like candles and like heated with coal. So soot would get on the walls. Like it's stained, it'd be, like soot covered wallpaper and be dark oh, and get dark and dingy. Yeah, it gets tingy. Yeah. Yeah. So this, so they decided to save this company that um, they're going to make this wallpaper cleaner. So it cleans that all that soot and stuff off of the wallpaper. Yeah, basically. Okay. So they never made wallpaper cleaner before, uh, but they're a soap company. So it says that Cleo turned to Kutal Products, his brother Noah, a, de- a product developer, and came up with a winning formula. The result was a non-toxic, malleable, clay-like compound made from water, salt, and flour that kept the company afloat for another 20 years. That just makes, it just seems insane to me that nobody's ever mixed the right amount of water, salt, and flour. <laughs> Flour to make play-doh and just to make this dough yeah well i suppose like i suppose you could have just like on accident but never thought to use it to clean your walls right like this was if people didn't oh, know what was in that's it that's true it just sold it as wallpaper cleaner mm-hmm. so like basically just like push the the dough on your wall and then take the soot off kind of like silly putty with newspaper yeah 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 that's, that's fun that's yeah. fun <laughs> So by the early 1950s, sales of Kutal products wallpaper cleaner began to plummet. So like people started getting away from coal and like wallpaper and stuff. Electricity. 
heat up electricity. Um, then after World War II, families converted their coal furnaces to oil and gas. So then no more need for the wallpaper cleaner. Mm-hmm. So following Cleo's death in 1949, his son Joseph McVicker took over the business and faced the challenge of keeping the company going. Um, so around 1955, McVicker's sister-in-law, Kay Zufall, uh, a school teacher, convinced him to think about their product as like something for kids. Like, I think she, because I think they like had a bunch of this wallpaper cleaner and then he kind of gave her some just to, like have or whatever. And she used it. She like was playing with it and was like, this would be good for kids. So McVicker, he came, went over to uh, Kay's like school and saw like how like they're making little statues and like little cute little things like playing with it. So then he went back to his headquarters to reformulate and repurpose the product they're already making. Um, so they could still use the same equipment and manufacturing space. And it basically they just changed it. I think just added colorant and changed it a little bit. So it was, you know, easier to play with. Mm-hmm. And so then they started marketing it as a child's toy instead of wallpaper cleaner. Fun. So were they still a soap <laughs> clean, like soap company? Or they just completely changed it? Like we do kids toys now. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Cause yeah. So in 1956, McVicker established Rainbow Crafts Company Inc. So instead of the soap company, it's now Rainbow Crafts Company. Rolls so, it's ki- more kid friendly. <laughs> just a little bit better than soap. Uh, so Rainbow Crafts practi- repackaged the product, now known as Play-Doh, so they renamed it, marketed it to elementary schools in the greater Cincinnati area. By 1959, Play-Doh was available in three colors, red, blue, and yellow. Uh, and then McVicker wanted his product to reach a much larger audience, not just schools, so like home use and stuff but he lacked like advertising he didn't know how to advertise it really mm-hmm. and like he didn't really have much of a fund for it so he decided to introduce it introduce play-doh to bob kishan otherwise known as captain kangaroo which is a hugely popular kids show back then I, my dad talked about it he was a big fan of it as a kid captain kangaroo captain kangaroo yeah <laughs> So after, I think it was like once every week they'd have uh, Play-Doh on there. Like they'd kind of like use it, like advertise it on there. Oh. So so super smart. Um, So then after that, the sales skyrocketed and Rainbow Crafts basically struggled to keep up with the demand for the the new toy. Wow. They sold so much of it because of... You know, the Captain Kangaroo. Captain Kangaroo, yeah. That's so a that's national show, right? Yeah, I believe so, yeah. So in 1960, accessories became part of the Play Doh line when Mick Ficker hired two engineers to develop a product that could be used in multiple ways. Uh, so the result was the Fun Factory, that with minimal force, you could extrude the Play Doh through various shapes and designs. So then you just get long strings of like whatever, like stars and. Oh, like the creepy spaghetti? Where you could make like, <laughs> like air. spaghetti, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. So then by 1964, Rainbow Crafts was shipping more than 1 million cans of Play-Doh per year. That's a lot. Yeah. Uh, then General Mills purchased the company one year later. Then in 1972, General, Ma- General Mills placed Play-Doh under the Kenner brand name, and Kenner continued to manufacture Play-Doh until it was acquired by Hasbro in 1991. So it's changed hands many times. Wow. General Mills used to own it. That's weird because they mm-hmm. make cereal and the, um, <laughs> yeah. that biscuit kid. Was it the biscuit baby? What? It goes. Biscuit what? It is a. He's like white, and he looks like dough, and you touch his tummy. Oh, Pillsbury like, Doughboy. Oh yeah, that's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> it's not Pillsbury Doughboy. What? I can think of it. <laughs> not biscuit. So what babe. you thinking of? <laughs> yeah, because it like giggles okay. when you touch his little tummy, right? It makes yeah, the biscuits. Yeah. Makes a biscuit. <laughs> yeah. It's not biscuit baby, but it's a Pillsbury <laughs> Doughboy. Okay, yeah. Yep. <laughs> I think Biscuit Baby sounds better. Better than Pillsbury Joe Boy? Yeah. Pillsbury Biscuit Baby. Don't have Pillsbury <laughs> Biscuit. Do Biscuit Baby. Biscuit Baby. I would, isn't he a chef, though? Because he wears, like, a little chef hat. I think so. I think he's it's kind of mean that everybody calls him, like, the Pillsbury Dough Boy when he's really a chef. <laughs> The pills, I don't know. The Pillsbury yeah. Chef Blob. <laughs> that sounds much more enticing. That's very ticklish. Chef Blob. <laughs> okay, moving on. <laughs> moving on. <laughs> Biscuit so, Baby. Okay, moving on. <laughs> Butter me up and call me a Biscuit Baby. Okay, moving Ew. on. Moving Are you on. sure? <laughs> you got any more? No. <laughs> None yeah. are worth to repeat. Oh, boy. Okay. So today still Hasbro still has Play-Doh and sells Play-Doh. And it's estimated that since the product was officially introduced in 1955, more than 2 billion cans of Play-Doh has been sold worldwide. Oh my gosh. Yep. And then in 1998, 
Play-Doh was inducted into the Strong's National Toy Hall of Fame. Where is the National Hall of Fame for the toys? For, for the toys. Oh, let me see. Yeah, Play-Doh's got a bunch of cool, like, accessory toys. I remember I used yeah. to have, like, a pizza. Is like a pizza maker with Play-Doh. Okay. So before yeah, I, I actually made pizza for my real first job as a teenager... I did. I made pizza as a child for Play-Doh. So you could have um, like there's like a pepperoni cutter maker, and there was mm-hmm. like the, you know like the cheese maker, like shredded cheese, basically so like the spaghetti. Just like cut yep. it. Yep. yep. That and there was like mushrooms and anchovy like <laughs> stamps that you could. Yeah, and you just like make a pizza yeah. out yeah. of Play-Doh. Don't eat it. No, I think I think that's probably why kids taste it all the time. It's because like it smells. It's just good. It smells. It only smells good when you first open that can, like the can up. <laughs> yeah. Not when like enough. all your dead skin cells and bacteria oh, are touching ew. it forever, and it makes it all weird. But whoa, it smells good when you first open it. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the national, uh, so the National Toy Hall of Fame is in Manhattan Square Drive in Rochester, New York. Oh, okay. Yeah. It looks really cool. It's like a bunch of like brightly colored blocks stacked up. Uh, it's a fun looking building. I it just feel like, like all the toys they ever played with as a child are now in the Hall of Fame, like the Toy Hall of Fame. I don't know. I think it's like I think it's only a few every year that actually inducted. get inducted. In there. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. I'm only familiar mm-hmm. with the NFL, like the Football Hall of Fame, and only a few people get inducted every year. So it mm-hmm. would only make sense that the Toy Hall of Fame followed the same rules <laughs> as the NFL Hall of Fame. Yep. Can't just be all willy-nilly with the rules. Of course not. I want to see if they have one this year that went in there. Yeah, see. what's the 2021? Probably like face masks, hand sanitizer. Those aren't kids toys. That could <laughs> be the head. The, roll of no, toilet paper. The, yeah, roll of toilet paper. Um, <laughs> roll of toilet paper is the gift that keeps on giving. That's a fun toy. You can be a, you can be a mummy. That's true. You can be, you could draw on it. You can shove it in your clothes. Um, I can't you can break your friends for drawing a spider on it. Yeah, you can stick it to the bottom of people's shoes. Mm-hmm. Make them feel all embarrassed when they walk out of the bathroom. Um, and then the masks can just be used as like a Barbie. It could be like a Barbie hammock. That's what, yeah, that's what all size. those, that's what, all, when, when the coronavirus is going to be all done and we're all done with it. No more. All those masks are just going to be given to children to be used as hammocks for their toys. <laughs> yeah. I did see there was a guy that, um, sanitized a bunch of discarded, like those blue masks, the surgical masks. Mm-hmm. He he like took them apart and then disinfected it and then made like shredded shredded them up to make this like fluffy looking ottoman looking thing. Interesting. I was like, that's kind of a cool way to reuse them. Because otherwise, what else are you gonna do with them, right? Just I said, um, just get, yeah, hammocks for rats. Let's go to New York and just like a hotel for rats. There's like hammocks of masks everywhere. Or you're like in the subway station and all of a sudden you <laughs> yeah. see like a rat in a like in a hammock. It's a little hammock. Yes, like yeah. yeah. It has just like a little cup full of like pop and he's sipping it with a little umbrella. <laughs> Living his best life. Nightmares. I love it. Nightmares. So in 2020, the doll. So in 2020, the toy that was inducted was Baby Nancy. Never heard of her. I have It's a. It's an older toy. Why does it she have to be named Baby Nancy? In 1968. Um, oh. So wow. I guess. It was inducted in response to the Watts riot, Lewis S. Smith II, and Robert Hall. They worked with civil rights activists and community members to form Operation Bootstrap with the goal of empowerment and social and economic equality. Oh, cool. 1960, yeah. In 1968, Operation Bootstrap launched Shindana Toys, a community-owned company dedicated to make toys that reflect black pride, black talent, and most of all, black enterprise. That's cool. Oh, she comes with cool... I like her little dresses. Yeah. Cute. Oh, she's a cute doll. Yeah, it's a cute little baby doll. Mm-hmm. I like it. That was a nice one. <laughs> yeah, like other ones, I think it's like the Game Boy. There's a, I think there's a lot of Barbies. Barbies for sure in there. <laughs> um, well, the 2007 was Atari. Oh, wow. Uh, 2600 game system. Um, Alphabet Blocks was 2003. Wow. A Ball was in 2009. A Ball? Uh, a ball. <laughs> was that ball. not the first thing to be in there? <laughs> That's a good question. Um, in 1998 was Barbie. A ball. Okay, a ball should have been before Barbie. That is the dumbest. No. <laughs> we click on it. Uh, so a, no. Just the ball. It's just like it has like lumped in everything. It's like rubber band ball, football, basketball, kickball. It's everything. 
A ball is so old. It is so old mm-hmm. that like kids used to use like pig bladders. Yeah. That's yep. yeah. Barbie wasn't invented until like the late fifties, early sixties. Ball should have yep. been first. <laughs> should have been like obvious known. I hope it is stick. I thought maybe like a doll too. Like dolls and like balls, I think were really <laughs> dolls and balls. <laughs> That could have just been the whole ticket for that whole, the first thing, dolls and balls. <laughs> yeah, so then the bicycle was 2000. That seems insane, too. Oh, a blanket was 2011. That should have been the first. <laughs> okay. Is a blanket a toy? Um. Here's a definition. Yeah. Children have played with blankets ever since ancient agrarians domesticated woolly mammals and spun their coats for fabrics and imaginative play and make-believe kids have discovered the playful many playful uses for the blanket it fills in for king's robe bride's veil superhero's cape a roman soldier's cloak a princess princess's flowing gown and a wizard's flying carpet thrown over a table it forms a tent draped around two chairs becomes a fort on top of the carpet it serves as a safe island surrounded by sea monsters in puppet shows the blanket substitutes for theater curtains for a magician the blanket conceals the secrets of a show, and in tug of war, the blanket gets top billing. It is also suitable for tossing toys in the air for parachuting them back down to earth. Okay, then a stick. Sh- if we're gonna use that, <laughs> that's you know the criteria. A stick should be in there too. Is a stick, a stick. in there? Uh, let me see. Because you can throw the stick. You can use the stick as a snake. The stick as a sword. The stick as a baseball bat. Yeah, I feel like a stick would be the first one. Is a stick in it? Um, I haven't found that yet, but I found a cardboard box. Oh, why? All right, people. We're going to email these people for the 2021 submissions, and we're going to add stick. <laughs> we're going to oh, rally for a stick. <laughs> oh, it is in there? Guess what, guess what year? Like 2008. Exactly. <laughs> Shut up. It's 2008. Yeah. Oh my god. Good job. <laughs> I just want to say that I never win anything and I'm glad I won this. <laughs> oh, it's great. Oh, it's fantastic. Yeah, it's fun to look through what they have in the Hall of, in the it, National Toy Hall of Fame. It's just National Toy Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. So if you're in Rochester, New York, you know where to That'd go. It's fun to see actually. I like to go walk through there. There's a, there's things on the list that are ahead of that for me, <laughs> but that is fine. <laughs> I mean, if you go there, like, yeah, I don't know. I think it'd be fun. It would be fun, but there are things on the list that are ahead of that. Fair enough. That is okay. <laughs> okay, guys. If you'd like to follow us on Instagram, check out the companion photos that we have for almost all of our episodes. Check us out on Instagram at Foolish Wanderers Podcast, and please follow and like our posts if you'd like to see more. And then if you'd like to check us out on YouTube, it's Foolish Wanderers Podcast. We upload all of our episodes to YouTube as well. So please like our videos and subscribe so you can, again, watch all of our episodes. And if you want to have any suggestions for future episodes or give any feedback, uh, please email us at fwplisteners at gmail.com. And remember, new episodes out every single Wednesday from wherever you get your podcasts. And Wednesdays are for the fools. <laughs> That's my new catchphrase. Like I like it? it. I like it. We're gonna put it on a t-shirt. Mm-hmm. Wear it, <laughs> guys. Thanks so much for listening. We we'll see you guys next time. Bye. Bye. Good job on stick. That was good. I was like, I can't believe that's a goddamn blanket and ball. A cardboard box. I'm surprised it took so long to get them in there. I bet Barbie just, like, the people at Mattel were just, like, they just bribed Barbie's way in. I mean, it is a classic classic toy. But I mean. Oh, it was the first one. So it started in 1998. And it's Barbie. That was the one, Barbie was the first one to get inducted. You know what? I didn't give a rat's ass about Barbie until they made High School Musical ones and Zac Efron was one. <laughs> if I'm like being Barbie. totally honest. I don't care about Barbie. That's fine. Doesn't she have like a real, she's like a name and a job and stuff like that, right? The real lady? Yeah. 
Barbara. I think isn't it Barbara? But it's Barbara. Barbara. <laughs> oh, Barbara. I was like, who the hell is Barbara? <laughs> Like, no wonder why she goes by Barbie if her name is Barbara. <laughs> I think that's a real lady's name, real kid's name, right? Barbara? Barbara. Yeah, Barbara is, but not Barbara. Barbara. I just heard it wrong. Barbara. Just like I heard Pillsbury Doughboy oh, wrong. No, Barbie's first name is Barbara Millic- Millicent Roberts. That's- her middle name is Mil- Millicent? Millicent, yeah. That's her. That's Barbie's name, and Barbie's her nickname. The real, what was her real name, the... The actual kid that it was based on. It's named after a child. Yeah, it's the creator's daughter. Oh wow! Like I had a Barbie plane and everything when I was little, but I just used it with oh, I put Beanie Babies in it instead of. <laughs> like I'm not kidding you when I said I didn't give a rat's ass about Barbie. I really didn't That's give good. a crap about her. I was like, buy what? me. as like, I had a Barbie car, like a convertible that I got from a garage sale, and I just put Beanie Babies in it. I had a a boat, a Barbie boat that I just put Beanie Babies in it. Basically, I had like Barbie house, Barbie plane, Barbie car, any mode of transportation for freaking Barbie, but I put Beanie Babies on it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's better to mix and match, I feel like, because your creativity going. I just, ne- I never played with Barbies until, like I said, Zach Efron was a Barbie. <laughs> <laughs> and then I did. <laughs> yeah. I always hated baby dolls. I can never. I don't like the eyes. What the? When you put the the eyes roll and I don't. I like or when they eat. Don't or like talk. that either. I hate that. Did I, I never liked it. I always like plushy, like soft things. So mm-hmm. I had like soft, like a lovey. I had a soft, like a baby doll, but she was all like soft and cuddly. Mm-hmm. I liked her. Yeah. No movable like, glass eyes, but so <laughs> creepy. So the creator of Barbie was Ruth Handler, and she came across a German toy doll. She, doll. yeah, that was the that's um, impressive the creator. I thought it was a guy, so I'm, I'm glad surprised it's a, she was a girl. I'm surprised too because it's in like the late fifties. Yeah, right. Uh, but she, yeah, yep. Um, so then she named Barbie and Ken after her two kids, Barbara and Kenneth. Yeah, but she saw a German toy doll called Brat Wild Lily, <laughs> uh, which is an adult figure doll that was exactly what Handler had in mind. So she purchased three of them and gave one to her daughter and took the others back to Mattel. Barbie. So. Love it. Thus Barbie was born. 